0: 23 and we are so deeply deeply excited to be introducing our very
1: first
0: full length podcast at Golden Shores very exciting
1: very exciting and for those of you who listened to the trailer and you come back to us and you sent us lovely messages that was so nice and uh, yeah first season we're already thinking about season 2 but we're just really excited about these episodes that we've got coming out for you over the summer so yeah this first episode is with the wonderful Jenny Ag, whose writing I have been following for a long time, and this year I had the pleasure of going for a walk with Jenny uh, whilst I was in the middle of reading her amazing book that is out at the moment, and you can find out all about Jenny and her book Life Almost in our show notes, and this is a really tender conversation where we talk about Jenny's experience of miscarriage and pregnancy after miscarriage, and um, We'd love to hear what you think. Do you listened? Here's our conversation.
0: Oh, Jenny, thanks so much for being here today. Would you be happy? No, thank you. thank you for having me. Would you be happy to start by telling us a little bit about your journey to getting pregnant? Yes. Yeah. Of course. Um, so, I oh, where to begin? So. To begin with, once my husband and I had decided we were ready to start a family, it it took longer than expected, and I I'm very conscious whenever I talk about this that it's all relative. So we were never, you know, we we're never on a kind of infertility pathway or anything like that. But you know, I was surprised that it took as long as it did to conceive for the first time. I think it took about ten months in the end for that first pregnancy, and I remember that time being very frustrating and I was very impatient and I was kind of very conscious of time passing and it felt like everybody around me was getting pregnant or you know had friends who were having their second children and things like that and then when I did get pregnant I remember a real feeling of this is it this is you know this is the one and I really remember thinking yeah I I just it was a huge relief and I just didn't question that it might not be as straightforward as that and um, what then happened is I went I had a miscarriage just before the 12-week scan and I went on to have three further miscarriages first two quite in quite quick succession and then we had a break for um, investigations to any possible causes and none none was found everything All the tests they ran came back normal. They were very kind, but they tried to kind of tell you that this is good news, which technically it is, but it doesn't feel like it really. We went away and tried again, and I I had another miscarriage. And at that point, I think we took about a year off because it was... And what, Again, there wasn't really anything else they could at that point suggest to us to try. There were no further tests that the NHS were willing to do. There was this sort of conversation around whether it would. there was any merit in trying IVF in order to, to, uh, to know that it was a chromosomally healthy embryo that was going in for want of a better expression. But that it wasn't really... You know, they weren't quite sure whether that was the case. And then it sort of quickly uh, became apparent that that wouldn't be, we wouldn't qualify for IVF treatment on the NHS anyway. So we sort of put a pin in that for, for now. And yeah, it was, it was very difficult. There's a, a lot of uncertainty and there's a lot that comes with that considering contemplating another pregnancy after all that when you really by that point have no faith or optimism that it thinks will that it will be different the next time long story short we took a year off just to kind of not think about trying to conceive not being pregnant not being anxiously pregnant and and then after after a year we, we um we we were ready to try again and um I was again I was lucky this time the so the subsequent after that first pregnancy the next four were all conceived very quickly which is was a bit of a, a surprise really but also then tricky because that might there's you know um this is probably too much to get into now but this is something I talk about in the book which is there is a theory around um recurrent miscarriage that for some people it's a you're conceiving too readily I suppose the wound lining isn't detecting things that it should detect and rejecting the embryo but so I mean that was never that's just a theory but it it, it's sort of it sounds like a good thing that you can conceive very quickly and I as, as I talk about this, I'm always conscious that for somebody who doesn't conceive easily, that that might be a difficult thing to hear. So I, I'm sorry if that's um, the case. Yeah, so we, we got pregnant for a fifth time. Between the fourth and fifth pregnancy, there was some new research published that has since led to the guidance on giving progesterone after miscarriage changing. That came later, but I asked our clinic if we could try it. To my slight surprise, they agreed. So in that fifth pregnancy, I took progesterone for the first trimester up until about 16 weeks. And that pregnancy, that was my son. Yeah. So so all in all, it was it took us about
1: four years to have our have our son. Oh, thanks so much, Jenny. And I'm so sorry for everything that you went through. And I know we get quite rehearsed at telling our story, like telling our you know four years that was how long I was trying as well we get used to condensing time into something that's really quite potted and short and yet yeah, there is so so much that happens in those stories that we know that we can't unpack in the course of a podcast but I just want to recognize that and thank you for sharing it thank you and please know that it's held in that kind of thank you, thank you. no I appreciate that and I think Like what this podcast is, is the listeners that we're thinking will find us are people that are pregnant after, yeah, next journey to getting there. Whatever that looks like, you know, whether that has been long duration of time, whether that has involved loss, whatever that complexity is, Mm -hmm. you arrive at pregnancy, and your experience. I think I think it's okay to say this. Is you kind of I think if there is an innocence when you conceive and everything goes smoothly. I think for me, I felt that that had been taken away and that I kind of, I experienced, I didn't really know how I would experience pregnancy when I got there because for me, just getting to pregnancy, it felt like such an impossible, like running five marathons back to back and then you get there. And it's like, didn't feel like I thought it would. And it's gonna, it's, obviously your story is different. How was, how could you talk us through that pregnancy in, in kind of sharing what that experience was like for you?
0: Yes I think a loss of innocence is kind of a really good way to explain what it's like because you do I think there are an awful lot of things in pregnancy that other people take for granted and putting acknowledging that miscarriage isn't the only reason that people would feel anxious in pregnancy there are lots of factors there but I think for a a lot of people i think there are things that you just are accepted that you do or that you just you you don't even question really in pregnancy that can feel very challenging after after recurrent miscarriage in particular and certainly for me with each pregnancy it's it's felt slightly different but it it really by the time we were on a fifth pregnancy very very difficult to truly accept that this that it it was happening really I mean a lot of the time I think my my kind of coping mechanism was really just pretending that it wasn't happening as much as I possibly could which is obviously you can't pretend it's not happening because it's happening inside your own body it's really driven home sometimes when talk to other people and when other people sort of start buying things or booking things and decorating and you know the, the basically the fun a lot of the fun parts of pregnancy, sometimes I had to really push myself, I guess, to to enjoy, to try to enjoy those things because you know, they're a source of envied those things for such a long time and kind of dreamt of them and then then they were here like buying maternity clothes or like you know, needing to buy maternity clothes, being able to choose things for a nursery or you know, looking for a pram and I hadn't necessarily expected that I would feel that way. I think I, for a long time, I think I was focused on getting beyond the first trimester. And I think, well, for it, you know, you're focused on the milestones keep moving, don't they? Or that's certainly how I felt, you know, it was, um, positive pregnancy test and then it was the first getting through the first couple of scans at the recurrent miscarriage clinic and then it was the 12-week scan and then getting beyond that and I think I had kind of assumed that once we got beyond that point further than we'd ever got before I think I thought I would feel much safer and that then suddenly something would be lifted and I didn't really feel like that at all and because it's because you're kind of you're things are ongoing pregnancy is ongoing and that's a source of enormous happiness and joy but at the same time I think for me going alongside that was a sort of recognition that there wasn't anything that was going to happen that was going to make me feel kind of completely for want of a better word normal about pregnancy in the way that you know it's an idea I had in my head of what pregnancy would be like and should be like and I was sort of it never quite Came and I felt it very keenly when I talked to friends and family who were really excited for us in a really lovely way, particularly because, you know, by that point, they I'd written because I'd written about our miscarriages, they knew our story. And so there was re- to them it was obvious that this was going to be different, which is lovely, but it also makes it quite difficult to know what to where to put your anxiety, I guess, or who you can. There is a sort of, yeah, it's, it's difficult, it, even like in the best of circumstances. And I, I should probably add at this point, <laughs> just in case it's my experience of pregnancy was complicated all over again by the fact that it happened during the first part of the pandemic. Yes. So I don't know. It's almost impossible now to know how big a part that played in all of this. So it's an experience within an experience, isn't it? And yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and in a way, that was it. Was probably better. you would obviously never. <laughs> I would never wish for a global pandemic. But if a global pandemic had to happen, I was. We were through the first trimester, and I think I know I, the thought of having to go to those very first scans, the scans that you know we'd been through so many times before and been told that the pregnancy wasn't going to continue that there was no heartbeat I think to have to go through that alone as some people did during the pandemic I think that would have been I'm just very grateful that I didn't have to do that there were scans I had to go to on my own but they were much they were later on in the pregnancy and so so that was that was something I mean you
1: look for these small things don't you when and I think you just captured that all so beautifully, the tightrope feeling of it. I think mm. I mean, living with other people's kind of vicarious experience of your pregnancy where you're within it, feeling how you feel, that, that's very much, that really resonates with me. I remember a midwife saying to me, look, you just need to go away and enjoy this. Like as if it was something that hadn't occurred to me, that, that i might like to try and do that a bit more yeah Uh, it's it's like it obviously comes from such a good place but it's
0: and you feel guilt like you feel guilty I felt so I felt that I write about this in the book is that constantly certainly in the kind of later stages there was this real pull between wanting to enjoy it because as you say people do try to with varying levels of kindness and empathy do kind of try to encourage you to stay positive and you know enjoy it and and so you kind of feel that as a sort of pressure and at the same time doing any of that stuff can feel like you're jinxing it or you you kind of feel I, I like I am not a superstitious person in in any almost any other way and I had all kinds of little rituals and superstitions and you know the, the the feeling of not wanting to jinx anything was so powerful yeah right the way through right the way through like i wore the same outfit pretty much for as long as i possibly could and even when the, i couldn't wear the jumper anymore i took it with me in my handbag because it just happened that i'd worn it to a, the first couple of
1: scans without planning it that way and then it was like well now i've yeah that's going to resonate with so many people. Just, it it just is touching me so deeply. And I think, and I know that Hannah will speak to this as well, I think for us to put this work out there and to create a place where people can come and think about their birth, it's a very complex place to be. But I think part of my driver for that is that I didn't think about that very much, if at all, actually, because I didn't really care what that looked like. I just wanted my baby to be here safely. And the birth was kind of in a black box, couldn't really think about it. And Yet, we have so much that we want to say and hopefully support women to be able to tenderly, safely feel that they can think about that. And I, there's something in your book, I mean, I'm holding the book up here and people won't be able to see me doing that because it's going to be audio, but there is a little paragraph. I hope it's okay. Do you mind me reading back your words about positive birth? No, go for it. You right. it's fashionable to talk about having a positive birth. It's supposed to mean that someone makes their own choices about location, who is with them, pain relief and any other medical interventions based on accurate information, leaving them feeling controlled, powerful and respected. It shouldn't be controversial to say that a positive birth could just as easily mean a candle at home birth as a planned caesarean depending on the person depending on the circumstances and yet all too often only certain kinds of choices are seen as positive ones while others are painted as mere capitulation what counts as a positive birth for someone like me is that even possible and that really stayed with me I read that paragraph a few times and just thought yes it's so powerful that and I wondered if that could be a kind of entry into you talking about your your birth experience and perhaps how you did, were you able to ready for yourself for birth did you do any kind of birth prep what was that like for you
0: yeah okay so yeah I'm really I'm actually perhaps this you know having said that you kind of feel like you need to offer people some sort of hope and encouragement and I I don't I haven't really been had a chance to talk about my birth very much and actually I had a really positive birth and it was kind of against all of my expectations if that makes sense in in every sense in that I you know didn't I found it very difficult to think about the birth as you kind of so eloquently put it there I think like that getting beyond what I want is a healthy baby which I know is a line that a lot of women who have a slightly different story, perhaps find very frustrating when, you know, that's the sort of attitude that they're coming up against, which is all that matters is a healthy baby and sort of all their needs and preferences are ignored. I, I kind of felt on the outside of that conversation a little bit because I really couldn't get beyond. I just want to take a baby. I want to take a baby home. I want them to be okay. And I, we did do um, NCT. Which was over Zoom, and with you know, I think for considering, there was a lot of stuff going on there, and they were you know adapting in quite quite quickly. And actually, it was yeah, it, that was reasonably positive. We what else did I do? And but everything else I found quite hard, and like some some stuff that I might have done wasn't running. So kind of pregnancy yoga wasn't really, and things like that that I had been doing earlier on. Weren't, weren't running I did eventually do it wasn't official it was a, a friend who uh, who I met on online because we have a similar similar story who now does hypnobirthing sent me some a, a, a track a hypnobirthing track basically so it was only a few minutes and I did it took me absolutely ages to actually listen to it because I just felt very I felt very resistant to it and I don't know whether that's just because it I had all the time with anything to do with the pregnancy or thinking about the birth I had to kind of steal myself for it or kind of gear myself up to kind of get the energy and resolve to do it but actually once I did listen to it and sort of let that wash over me and listen to the, the um the things on that track that was, that was helpful. And it was all, you know, she designed it for people who are experiencing pregnancy that's after a difficult path. So it was kind of, it was tailored in that way. So that was, that was very positive. What else? I did a lot of reading kind of right towards the end. I left things quite late and I think for me, focusing on the reading about the kind of physical side of labour was quite helpful because I think I reached a certain point where I'd accepted that that was something that was going to happen (laughs) and I you know I read quite widely so I read more practical mainstream things by modern midwives and I read things from the 70s about orgasmic childbirth and you know (laughs) Um, so I felt like I had quite a balanced (laughs) a balanced view of all these things yeah so that was that was helpful though there was very little about preparing for birth after a difficult a difficult time to get pregnant or you know a, an experience of loss so that there was definitely an absence there so something that I, I didn't do and i wish i had which is that i wish i had discussed things earlier on with our um, consultants. Because of our history, we were consultant-led. I think that was because they needed to prescribe the progesterone, they needed a consultant to do that. But at no point did we really talk about anything really. It was just kind of presumed that apart from the progesterone, it was really, the assumption was that this was a a healthy first-time pregnancy, wasn't much. Consideration given when it came to discussing labor options, that psychological side, I guess, because there was no uh, until forty weeks, there was no physiological reason to say discuss um, a planned C-section or a planned induction at a certain point, or really anything like that. And um, while I don't necessarily know if I would have changed anything, I I think looking back, it should have been a discussion yeah I not and and getting beyond the the pure kind of the physical medical stuff I think had somebody been able to talk to me about what I was how I felt and the psychology of it all and the anxiety I think it would have been helpful to give space to that and just to have a little bit of some just a prompt from somebody to say recognizing that it, it can be a very difficult time and that it's okay if you're finding it anxiety provoking and yeah it would have been helpful I mean as I said it was during the first part of the pandemic so there was a lot going on so that's not a um but I do think it's it's difficult to make yourself go there but I I think or it can be and I think yeah and I think sometimes when you're I know (laughs) for the NCT they kind of gave us a I don't know whether they gave us a sheet with stickers or something like that but some of the things they're sort of they were encouraging us to think about as preferences just felt so like I don't care <laughs> like I don't care what music is playing or like you know I, that's I'm being slightly um slightly flippant but there are a lot of options and I just thought I, I can't I can't make myself mind about this but actually there was a layer that would have been helpful to have been to have been encouraged to think about but having said all that the birth itself turned out to be a very positive experience.
1: Oh I, I wanted to ask of all the things that you researched what was actually useful so you said you sort of read
0: really widely you touched on some people birthing you'd gone through NCT and learned some tools and techniques there but actually in birth what of all those things what did you find most useful what were you really glad that you'd read What most useful so we I ended up having an induction at 40 weeks because of I think it was my third time that I'd been in with reduced movements and while everything seemed okay and they'd done you know every every scan and everything they'd checked seemed absolutely fine I think because it was the third time that I'd I'd gone along and because I was I was 40 weeks they kind of said we we can offer you an induction I didn't they didn't they were very good about that whole conversation and they said you don't have to accept but I was they what they did say is if you don't have go for the induction we ask that you come back tomorrow for a scan we want to keep an eye on you and actually that was kind of that and a conversation with my mum which I, I write about in the book kind of made me go well I there was a, a certain relief I think attached to just doing something but it is you know it's complicated because you I think there's a lot of rhetoric around induction that it's something that you you shouldn't want or that you should you know that might you might be pressured into and that's you know that's very real that is something that I know a lot of women feel and are treated very very poorly in that by that conversation and by that system but anyway I agreed I agreed to have the induction and I think the things that were helpful were that I'd read quite a lot about I I think from some of those kind of 70s classic childbirth books about moving like movement and and kind of being not lying down on your back if that's not comfortable and so and I think there was some carryover into some of the more recent books i would read I forget who you buy but that idea of moving around I had you know I had a birthing ball that was all that was helpful that was kind of something I felt quite confident that like I could see what I could see and understand like as a health journalist and quite an active person generally I can kind of see where that might be helpful as a even as a distraction if nothing else the other thing I found helpful was a, a hypnobirthing app which I'd used which I literally downloaded while we were waiting for the induction I don't think I'd practiced with it <laughs> um, because for, again for all those things that we've discussed I think yeah I, I just wasn't going to wasn't going to practice those things much in advance it just felt too but you know I've done a little bit of yoga and so I'm vaguely familiar with some of the sort of breathing techniques and things like that so so I did use that and I did actually find it really helpful in the early stages there are a couple of visualization things that I'd read about in one of the more up-to-date spot by an NHS midwife to do with pushing I don't want to quote it and get it wrong but it was something to do with it was about controlling pushing and visualizing it like if you're on a very like a street with lots of cars parked on it you drive you, you, you go very carefully you drive very slowly and it was it was yeah I can't remember exactly how it, they'd explained it but I remember hanging on to that in labour yeah using that I'm trying to think of other very practical things. I think this isn't really a practical tip, but it was something that I kind of realised as it all started to happen, which was that having experienced a, a miscarriage and one that was, one that just started at home, it wasn't diagnosed on a scan, there was a, there was a similarity at times in the kind of the pain and the this that sort of contraction and the pain that comes with that and there was something about recognizing that pain and that kind of physical process but knowing that it was okay like in that moment you know I had a, everything they they had a um he was I was monitored they had the heart the heart rate monitor on him I was 40 weeks there was something about knowing that that it was recognizing how it was similar and also seeing how it was completely different something about that was really comforting and it felt like it made that pain feel I was a bit reluctant to kind of it sounds it to sound a bit out there but I, it it just made it slightly easier to deal with like this pain was for something you know it was yeah there was still a chance of a, I was going to have a baby and that made it that was infinitely easier to deal with than having kind of pseudo contractions and knowing as I did the first time around knowing that I was not leaving hospital with a baby.
1: Mm. i was so moved by that Jenny. Oh thank <laughs> you it sounds a bit I. I yeah no, it really makes sense really mm. makes sense it's a body memory isn't it and it is yeah it is and it it's not something I thought about until it was
0: really until it was happening and it yeah it's one of those things that you're 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 thinking about but you're not really aware of it as a sort of logical thought it was just sort of all there but there was another much more practical oh so the i found having the the monitor the, con- the sort of um the heart rate monitor on really i again like i know sometimes because people have to have the the monitoring on that's used as a reason why they can't do certain things in labour and that can be a kind of difficult conversation but for me that was really reassuring I know you know sometimes people say well it can lead to it can be misinterpreted and it can cause more panic and things like that so I think it's all very individual but for me it was very comforting and also it didn't actually limit me moving around it didn't really change anything so that was I it would have been helpful to know that beforehand that would have perhaps put my mind at ease that you know they could do you there's a kind of middle ground I think sometimes with the
1: and I love that because it is that meaning of what is positive you know and yeah. so much narrative around birth there are some narratives that are very loud there are things that pull bias into what is the better you know most people would probably associate that induction is something that is you don't want and that monitoring you might not but then in different contexts and for different people in different circumstances that is actually hugely reassuring and I don't see that spoken about that much really so I'm really glad that that's in our conversation so thank you for sharing that with us yeah I think because I think it's very difficult isn't it I mean again there's a
0: little bit in the book about this and why it's very difficult to know to know what what, to know the difference that induction makes in terms of women's experience, um, as well as kind of the, the 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 safety um concerns and things like that. So it's really difficult to to know in terms of scientific research, but I think also the fact it's very it's confounded by the fact that you're kind of given some scary information about induction sometimes. So you know you're risk of complications and cascade of interventions and all those things that get sort of get talked about not without you know there's there's a reason those things get talked about but then I think that's very difficult because you're you're basically primed aren't you not to want something and to be nervous about it and to be and I think actually that's probably the biggest thing that was helpful to me was just kind of and it's in it is in a lot of books about labour, kind of right right through the spectrum. But that idea that not being afraid as much as you possibly can and making yourself feel safe is is really important for you know for birth to happen. What that means in a context like ours is obviously complicated, but I think bearing that in mind through everything was whenever there was a decision to be made, coming back to that, what makes me feel safest, I think was quite helpful in that knowing that's the best chance of your body do, it's so difficult to talk about this, isn't it? Without kind of language sounding like, you know, women blaming language, but kind of to let your body do what it it knows
1: how to do in theory. And I guess it's about what's right for us, isn't it? Yeah, for us will not be right for another person. And I think the passionate thing that I feel is social media gives us these tiny little bites, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. And like a carousel of five slides talking about why you shouldn't have an induction. So small and it's punchy and it makes us want to read it. And it's like triggers a lot of things. It misses so much nuance, you know? And I think that nuance is, I'd like to amplify the nuance a little bit more, I think. There definitely is nuance. I mean, I so I had an induction,
0: which, you know, to a lot of people is the thing, you, the thing you don't want. But at the same time, after that induction, I had um an otherwise completely uncomplicated vaginal birth. And I used gas and air. And I think that was basically it. And like, there were, you know, I was, there were lots of things that were in my favour in that I think probably I was in the like I there had been I thought I was going into labor like a couple of times before I had that induction like so it was you know perhaps things were going on it didn't take very long for labor to get going yeah there are things in my family history that make me think fast labors are probably somewhere in my genetics and so that but I think that is a story you don't hear very often it is possible to have that. Middle way, like I was on the, I wasn't in the the midwife led unit. I was in the delivery suite with lots of doctors and lots of midwives around, and it was, it's I was in the situation that is often painted to you as not ideal for a quote unquote positive birth, but actually that worked very well for us. Like I think. Yeah, I think it can be quite binary. That if one thing doesn't, one decision doesn't go the way you had hoped, that everything from there will. Well,
1: there's quite there well, a cascade of intervention, but there's not many people talking about a cascade. Very different kind of cascade where everything. Well, oh yeah. Well, that's it, and it's you know,
0: it's really difficult. Decision making is really difficult when you are already in a kind of hyper vigilant anxiety riddled state but I think you just have to you have to make the decisions with the information you have and for me that was I didn't want to go home and wait for a scan knowing that the doctors wanted to see me again knowing that you know they were had suggested an induction knowing our history knowing how I felt which was consumed with anxiety really I just it's entirely possible I would have gone home waited for that scan and I would have gone into labour overnight. Like, I will never know that. But there's also a part of me that there are other possibilities there that I would never, that loom very large. And I... Yeah, I think these are, I think these are, it's difficult. I think decision-making in birth is, and labour is really hard anyway. And I think there's a lot of noise. And I think it's very difficult to discern what is fact when I think both yes. the sides kind of have uh, studies and statistics to throw at you. I think, um, and then when you throw complicated, a complicated pregnancy or fertility history into that, I think that that's really challenging. I think one of my biggest bugbears around induction is that rightly there is a lot of conversation about whether or not our induction levels in the UK are at the right amount. I think it's one in three, right? That conversation absolutely needs to happen on a big scale. What I feel has got really difficult and really awful is that individual women now seem to be taking the weight of that sector wide issue on their shoulders when they're trying to take that decision about induction there's so much yeah. noise about it that you're aware of that's playing into you in that moment when you're making that decision and almost like a, a guilt or a weight as to whether or not you absolutely should do this or whether it's a right or a wrong decision this the, yeah. it comes into the room with you and it's not welcome like I think it needs to be left at the door so I think it's really important to hear a positive story about it and it's really important I think that women try their best to tune out all the noise and just think about themselves in that moment like you were able to like this is me in this situation I've got this backstory this is the right decision for me and that's the end of it no conversation about other possible scenarios or anything else I think it makes me sad that we're carrying those yeah. individuals. Yeah, and it's and it's the thing is, I can see it from both sides because at the same time, if you had a pregnancy history like mine or, you know, a, a complicated journey to, to pregnancy for whatever reason, I think if you were, you know, if you were perhaps being encouraged to have an induction and then as sometimes happens, that induction doesn't happen straight away because of whatever reasons kind of resourcing and that would uh, you know I that does happen people are told you you must you know we really recommend you must have an induction it should happen soon and then they don't they can't book them in for another three four five days or whatever it is and then that the anxiety potentially that could be created then is um for anyone but particularly when there's um a kind of complicated history, and it it isn't always taken into account, depending on the, you know, the hospital and the, the circumstances. So yeah, I yeah I agree. I think tuning out that noise is is really important.
1: Oh, thank you. Well, we've been asking this question at the end for people, kind of pull the threads together. So if you were to go back now. There may not be anything different to what you've already told us but and see yourself at the beginning of that pregnancy what would you like to tell yourself that maybe you didn't know then that you couldn't know then uh, that maybe other people could be listening to that they might find helpful as well perhaps
0: yeah I mean the one that I wish I could do for myself and I wish I could do for anybody would it would be to say it's going to be okay but kind of accepting that that's not really something you can do i i think for me i think what would have been helpful would be to to i think just try to accept that it was a difficult thing and it's there's a there's a lot bound up with it isn't it cuz when you're pregnant after loss or after infertility there's also a kind of or there can be a kind of guilt because you know what it's like to be the person when it hasn't worked out so it comes back to that pressure to enjoy it and I think perhaps if I had just let myself plan and plan around and kind of give myself space for this was yes I was delighted to be pregnant yes everything was you know seemingly going well just giving myself that room for it was going to be quite hard so for example I ended up going on maternity leave much earlier than I had planned partly because there was some I was having to have more frequent hospital appointments which often went on for a very long time and that was becoming very difficult to balance with work which like it would be for anybody kind of appointments that could be three hours at the hospital when you don't really know like that's quite hard to juggle juggle your schedule around kind of physical mental emotional after effects of those appointments was often enormous and so yeah I think perhaps a little bit more just giving myself that space so it was okay for to be finding it hard to need to not have much else going on and to yeah I think I would also in hindsight I probably would have. I would have put some support in place, like a with a, a counselor or a, or a psychologist, or some kind of space where I could talk about what I was feeling to somebody, you know, who can hold that kind of space, really, because it's difficult. It's difficult with your partner. It's difficult with friends and family who are very excited for you. I think that would have been helpful. I think that would have been helpful. Oh,
1: that's beautiful. It's really lovely insight. Was trying to connect hindsight and insight and how those two things kind of weave together but that's really lovely thank you thank you and
0: also, I think I just think now I would be a lot more I wouldn't be second guessing myself as much I think like there are often like the induction I think is is a probably the biggest example but there are other points as well where I was kind of led a little bit by what I felt I should be doing and actually I think I would look back, I'd look looking back and think, well, you know, your instinct is this, you feel you're t- you on the inside, you feel you need this, but you're too afraid to say, because, because it's not, it somehow doesn't fit with that idea that we have of pregnancy and how people behave in pregnancy or feel in pregnancy. Yeah.
1: Oh, Jenny. Thank you so much. Thank you. So much. No, thank, you. Um, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And we will, of course. I've got your book sat by me, which we will be beginning to share with as well. But life almost is so beautiful. I don't think there's been many books that I've read in this landscape and many, many other landscapes actually, where every single page I've, I've reread sentences because they've been so beautifully crafted and have landed with me so tenderly um so thank you thank you very much for being here
0: thank you very much for having me oh no problem at all thanks jenny thank you thank you so much for listening i hope it was a helpful listen if you're currently pregnant and you'd like some support in that space please know that we're here for you we've got a lovely group um at golden shores all the information is in the show notes so,
1: yeah thank you and thank you jenny for being such a wonderful guest we'll see you next week.